The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. The Joe Biden administration has already done so much that I want to spend time today focusing on that. But we should talk about the inauguration, which happened yesterday. It was notable in that it was very different than past inaugurations for a number of reasons. It took place during a global hundred year pandemic. And so the crowd was very, very small and the entire National Mall, which would often be filled with people to different degrees, depending on which inauguration we're talking about. As we know, the crowd size of inaugurations has been a flashpoint in the past, uh, empty with flags instead. Um, the outgoing president wasn't there for the first time in 152 years. Donald Trump fleeing Washington, D.C. for Palm Beach, Florida early in the morning yesterday. But Joe Biden was sworn in. There were no incidents of violence. There were no arrests or unrest in the area, just a new presidency and Vice President Kamala Harris being sworn in here. Um, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor does mispronounce Kamala's name as Kamala. No one's perfect. I expect that there will be much of that in the next few years. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Kamala, Davy Harris do solemnly swear. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I take this obligation freely that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion that I will well and faithfully discharge that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter the duties of the office upon which I am about to enter so help me God so help me God and then Joe Biden also sworn in by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court John Roberts Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute. That I will faithfully execute. The office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability. Will, to the best of my ability. Preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help you, God. So help me, God. Congratulations, Mr. Thank President. So there it is. Trump out Biden in Biden giving a speech focused on unity. The 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 pragmatic uh, reality is there will likely not be the unity Biden calls for, but Biden calling for it, not mentioning Trump once, but mentioning the big challenges that lie ahead of the country uh, for the country, including starting to be respected again by the world, uh, dealing with the virus and more. Here is Joe Biden talking about that. I know speaking of unity can sound to some like a foolish fantasy these days. I know the forces that divide us are deep and they are real. But I also know they are not new. Our history has been a constant struggle between the American ideal that we're all are created equal and the harsh, ugly reality that racism, nativism, fear, demonization have long torn us apart. Biden directly attacking the deceptive and pernicious disinformation that has become standard during Trumpian America, about which uh, during which we saw facts manufactured. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. And we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated and even manufactured. 
Now, former Vice President Mike Pence at the inauguration, not clapping on that one and during many others. And why would he? Biden is pointing directly to him, not with his finger, but with his words. And it is Pence and Trump and their supporters and media allies that did the manufacturing of many of those so-called facts. Joe Biden then telling the folks that did not support him that he will also be their president and asking them to hear him out. To all those who supported our campaign, I'm humbled by the faith you've placed in us. To all those who did not support us, let me say this. Hear me out as we move forward. Take a measure of me and my heart. If you still disagree, so be it. That's democracy. That's America. The right to dissent peaceably within the guardrails of our republic is perhaps this nation's greatest strength. Yet hear me clearly. Disagreement must not lead to disunion. And I pledge this to you. I will be a president for all Americans, all Americans. And then Joe Biden saying we will repair our alliances. Of course, the reason these alliances need repair is that they were destroyed by the Trump administration. Biden doesn't say that, but it's certainly implied. We all understand the world is watching, watching all of us today. So here's my message to those beyond our borders. America has been tested and we've come out stronger for it. We will repair our alliances and engage with the world once again, not to meet yesterday's challenges, but today's and tomorrow's challenges. So this was the right speech for the right moment. And very quickly, I mean, almost instantly, in a sense, we shifted from the ceremonial to the logistical and to getting things done. There are so many things desperately needed and shockingly overdue right now that there's quite literally no time to bask in the afterglow of the inauguration and the afterglow of the fireworks, the literal afterglow, uh, because there's so much that needs to get done. And that's exactly what I want to talk about next. I told you guys uh, six weeks ago, seven, eight weeks ago, that there's this growing list of things that Joe Biden claims he will do on day one. And I told you that we're going to hold Biden to that. I'm going to tell you on day two whether Joe Biden did those things. And if he didn't, if the day one priorities get pushed back to week one or month one or the first hundred days, that would be a broken promise by Joe Biden. And I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be able to report that Joe Biden did it. He filed 17 executive orders yesterday. There's a 10 or a dozen more coming today, which have not yet been signed, so I can't report on those and doing really, really important things. Much of this is by necessity covid related, but much more than that. So some of the executive orders that Joe Biden filed yesterday on coronavirus, Joe Biden, he promised he would do it and he did it. It's a 100 day masking challenge. It's not a mandate. It's a request that for these next 100 days, as the vaccines start working their way through the, the population, already starting to see a decrease in hospitalizations thanks to the vaccines that everybody wear a mask. And indeed, uh, Joe Biden did uh, uh, sign a mandate for masks at federal buildings, which is within his purview. Joe Biden can't mandate masks in state buildings or in random businesses or out in, in public or in people's homes. And he's not trying to do that, but doing exactly what he promised to do on masks, 100 day challenge and mandate in federal buildings. Um, Joe Biden immediately shut down Trump's withdrawal from the World Health Organization. Uh, that was a disastrous idea at the worst possible time, immediately putting Dr. Anthony Fauci as the head of the delegation to the WHO in a pre dawn uh, meeting this morning. Fauci already meeting with the WHO. This is I mean, in 24 hours, how things have changed. 
on the economy. Joe Biden has extended the nationwide moratorium on evictions and foreclosures until at least the end of the first quarter, March 31st. And he has extended the pause on student loan payments and interest for Americans with federal student loans until at least September 30th of 2021. He has not forgiven any student loan debt yet. And that's something many of us want to see him do. But this is a big deal as well. Joe Biden has rejoined the Paris Climate Accord, a process that will actually take close to 30 days, immediately reversing what Donald Trump did in bailing on the Paris Climate Accord and also uh, Joe Biden reversing Donald Trump's action by canceling the Keystone XL pipeline, period, canceled and directing agencies to review and reject and reverse rather 100 Trump actions on the environment. I said this must be done. Trump's damage to the environment by loosening regulations has been disastrous. Joe Biden day one saying undo all of it. Um, Joe Biden rescinded the Trump administration's 1776 commission. This was that patriotic education nonsense that Donald Trump put in place. That's done. He also put in a uh, executive order to prevent workplace discrimination on the basis of uh, sexual orientation or gender identity. Uh, there are a number of other sort of more minor executive orders, but very importantly, Joe Biden fortifying DACA after Trump tried to gut it, reversing the Trump administration's restriction on entry for passport holders from several Muslim majority countries. That's the reversal of the so-called Muslim country travel ban undid Trump's expansion of immigration enforcement within the US and stopped construction on the border wall. Very, very important stuff. Um, there are a number of other executive orders that Joe Biden signed yesterday and more that he will sign today. But this is all very good and very important. And what is really important to understand here, uh, and we're going to play some clips of a triggered Fox News host about these orders soon. Uh, what we found out is that a relatively small number of bad actors, Trump included, who the majority of the country didn't vote for. Remember, even in 2016, Trump got uh, less than half of the vote of those who voted and half the country didn't vote in 2016. A very small number of, of bad actors can do a lot of damage. And now Joe Biden gets to undo that damage by the exact same legal provisions that Trump used to do the damage, many of which were executive orders. But there's a general principle, which is that it's almost always easier to break and destroy things than it is to build things. Consider building a house. You've got to clear the land and then dig out a foundation and pour the foundation and then frame it and then put a roof on and windows and doors and toilets that Trump said you have to flush 10 or 15 times. And then you bring a wrecking ball in and in 10 minutes you reduce it to rubble. That is a, 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 a perfect analogy um, to much of how we saw the Trump administration operate in very little time. Trump was able to destroy global alliances that took decades uh, to build and to strengthen. Trump was able to, by failing on the virus for a few months, irreversibly set us back. OK, so I think we understand the concept. A lot of right wingers are finding themselves very triggered by Joe Biden's executive orders. Let's talk about that next. This is really great. When Barack Obama was president, Fox News said that executive orders were tyranny. They were tyrannical. When Trump became president, Fox News said Trump's executive orders are fine because he has to undo the tyranny that were Barack Obama's executive orders. And now on day one, Joe Biden signed 17 executive orders, undoing some of the worst of the worst of what Donald Trump did. And once again, Fox News host Ainsley Earhart, her feelings are hurt. It is wild how everybody's feelings are now the most important thing on Fox News. And she doesn't think Joe Biden is acting to unite America because undoing Trump's executive orders with his own is mean, guys. These people are so childish and pathetic and predictable. Take a look at this. So our country's got to come together. And Joe Biden said yesterday, I want unity. He talked about that in his speech. But the first thing he does, the first order of business is to walk in, sit down at the table. And he has 17 executive orders really wiping away much of what President Trump did. So his supporters are saying, how can we have unity if you're taking away everything that we like? This is so stupid. 
that it doesn't even count as as political analysis. The things Joe Biden dealt with yesterday on day one, which I'm thrilled to have seen him deal with, were not just canceling counterproductive things that Donald Trump did. They were things that divided us from the world. If you want to talk about unity, everybody's in the Paris Climate Accord. We're out. That's divisive. Other countries are taking covid seriously, but we have a president saying it's the flu and it'll go away like a miracle and 15 cases will be zero. That's divisive in terms of the United States from the rest of the world. We are going to have four solid years of these people whining that Joe Biden simply isn't continuing everything Trump did. If you follow what Ainsley Earhart is saying to its logical conclusion, anything that Joe Biden does differently than Trump is apparently not unity. And that's right. Joe Biden is not Trump. These are the same people who for four years under Trump said elections have consequences and you lefties have to deal with it. And they were right during the Trump era. I agreed elections have consequences. And that's why it was tragic that so many leftists stayed home in 2016. But the 2020 election also has consequences and we're seeing them now. And by the way, if Ainsley is correct, and on day one, Joe Biden really did undo everything Donald Trump did. That confirms Trump didn't do very much. If Joe Biden in four hours, these were signed within four hours of Joe Biden being sworn in. If in four hours, Biden can undo four years worth of what Donald Trump did. Donald Trump didn't do very much. And uh, we are going just prepare yourselves. This is what Fox News or worse. This is what Fox News is going to look like for the next four years. Uh, let me know your reaction and your your feedback to the early days of the Biden administration. I'm on Twitter at D Pacman. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. One of our sponsors today is Trivia Star, a free trivia game for mobile devices with over 60 different trivia categories including things I know you would love, like geography, history, science, many other great topics, movies, sports, food. I've been having a bunch of fun with it because I, as the player, get to choose the category. So I'm only answering questions on topics I'm interested in. There are over a thousand different levels to progress to over 10,000 different questions, which get harder over time. So it gets more and more interesting as you play. If you love trivia like I do, I remember the days pre virus of going out to trivia at a bar and you want a fun way to keep yourself sharp. Check it out. Really well designed game. Four point nine star rating and the number one rated mobile trivia game in the world and totally free. Download it in the Apple or Android app stores. Regardless of your workout, nutrition and diet goals, it is crucial to have the right amount of protein in your diet. And if you're supplementing with protein powders, you should be sure you have the powder that is right for you. And that's where our sponsor Gainful comes in. Gainful offers customized protein based on your body type, diet, fitness habits and goals. Their formulas are optimized for you with simple and effective ingredients, no fillers, gluten, soy or anything artificial. And Gainful also gives you free, unlimited one on one access to your own registered dietitian, which is a great bonus you won't find anywhere else. And my favorite part is that Gainful Protein is never repetitive or boring because they will rotate the flavors you choose like rich chocolate, cookies and cream, chocolate, peanut butter, strawberry cream, cafe mocha. I took their quiz and they gave me protein tailored to my specific needs. Everything was quick and easy. I've been loving what they sent me. You'll get 15 percent off your first month when you go to gainful.com slash Pacman. That's G-A-I-N-F-U-L dot com slash P-A-K-M-A-N. And the link is in the podcast notes. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. Don't forget about membership. Join Pacman.com, the best place to support the work we do. Coupon code available but never mandatory. Better 21 will save you hugely off of the cost of a membership. All right. This is really important. This is so important. I'm even going to take my Sharpie out for this. I am really glad to have some time today uh, to do a deep dive 
on videos from a focus group with Trump supporters. This was hosted on Monday night, two days before the inauguration of Joe Biden. We've been talking about what do we do now about 75 million Trumpists? How do we deprogram? And it's really an important insight into the mind of the Trump voter and what we're up against for these next two and four years. This is a focus group done by Frank Luntz, a longtime Republican focus group guy who has been anti Trump for some time. And if we are to understand how to deprogram Trumpists, we have to understand how they ended up believing the things they believe. And this is the perfect window through which to do that. So let's get right in. We're going to have lots of analysis of this, but uh, let's get right into the first clip and let me know whether you find this type of segment useful. Raise your hands if you think that Donald Trump actually won the election. If all the votes are counted accurately, who thinks he won it? All but one of you. Okay, Denise, where's the number one source for news for you? I love watching Fox News. I love listening to the news because I drive a lot for a living. And I right now, by the way, I'm living in Washington, D.C. I'm staying with my daughter these past two weeks, and it's a nightmare here. It's a nightmare. But um, I listen to the news. I listen to the news. And what I just heard recently, that they're comparing us to the KKK, one of the newscasters, the, any Republican, it's, it's disgusting. Okay, so Denise thinks Trump won. She likes to listen to Fox News. Washington is a nightmare, and she heard that she, as a Trump supporter, is being equated to the KKK because she voted for Trump. So notice that there's a total lack of awareness that the reason Washington on Monday was a dystopian nightmare with troops on every corner is because of other Trumpists who violently rioted on January 6th. And she says, I've been watching Fox News which has not actually made the connection that Trump incited the pro Trump mob that did the rioting. So it's really important to see how her beliefs are directly informed by how Fox did or be maybe better said did not cover the riots. The link between what you watch and what you believe is very, very clear. This is not trivial. Let's continue. Randy, where do you get your news from? What do you watch? I used to watch Fox News up until the election. Um, so now I kind of just looking online. Um, I was getting it from Twitter, but I deleted my Twitter account once they um, censored the president. So now I don't even really know where to get my news because I don't know what's true and what's not. I don't know what to believe from anywhere. Just go like Max Breitbart. So there's a lot there. Th that's just 27 seconds. But listen to how much telling information is, is released there. She used to watch Fox, but not anymore. Increasingly common among Trumpists. She used to get news on Twitter until they censored Trump. So notice that even where she used to get her news, that's not news. Fox News isn't news. Twitter itself isn't news, although there can be news articles posted to Twitter. But I would be interested in seeing who these folks are following on Twitter. So it's a lack of media literacy for years. I've been pointing out rather than just arguing with people about the facts. If we establish a foundation of media literacy, you insulate people from even falling prey to a lot of this stuff. This is a perfect example. This is exactly what I've been talking about for a decade. Then a guy yells that she should be getting her news from Breitbart and Newsmax. Another self parody. Let's continue. Uh, Wendy, where do you get your news from? Newsmax. Uh, formerly from Fox. Occasionally I'll watch the five um, uh, talk radio. So another example of a former Fox viewer, and she says, sometimes I will watch the five on Fox News. Again, the five is an opinion show on Fox, which she says she's getting news from. This is a case study in everything I've been saying about media literacy for the last decade on the show. Now, Frank Luntz asks why so many of them have stopped watching Fox News. Take a listen. Who here has stopped watching Fox since the election? Half and half. Charles, why did you stop watching Fox? I started, I stopped watching Fox a couple of years back. I just, I just saw them sliding further and further and further to the left and I, and I have CNN for that. I have um, MSNBC for that. I don't. I don't need Fox to go to the left. So I get it. My news from Breitbart, Newsmax. Meredith, why did you stop watching Fox? 
Oh, me, I didn't um, so much. And, and when you say news, I know where I get my opinions, but news, I, you know, unless I see it with my own eyes anymore, I don't believe anything. It's pretty terrible, actually. Well, <laughs> I don't know. How do you know the election was stolen if you don't believe anything? I don't know it was stolen. I know that, that when somebody wins an election at 4 a.m. and people stop voting, that's just not how we do things. Fox is too left for the first guy. He went to Breitbart and Newsmax. Meredith doesn't believe anything anymore. That's an example of when skepticism goes too far. Healthy skepticism is good. Uh, unquenchable skepticism leads to you believing nothing and it's completely unproductive. So this is really instructive because our beliefs about these people they might seem like satirical caricatures, but it's literally what they're saying and what they believe. Now, if you think that this is useful, I do want to hear from you. If you think these these to me, this is endlessly instructive and I hope it is for the audience. So now Frank Luntz gets into beliefs about a so-called stolen election. And now the, the focus group participants start getting more agitated. That's all we ever wanted was an That's investigation. We, we were told to move to along. Vote. Nothing <laughs> happening here. That's Just right. keep moving. Don't look. Don't ask questions. Yeah, it's absolutely absurd. We look and we ask questions when we see a guy who campaigned from his damn basement mm -hmm. who had 12 <laughs> people show up at his rallies, gets 80 million votes. Come on. Yeah, it doesn't right. make sense. So Just I'm a investigator. Just and I look at numbers all day. And <laughs> I, I, when I went to bed at night, Pennsylvania had we yeah. were we were up and then when i woke up 900,000 votes all of a sudden went to biden and he won by what like 3% in pennsylvania it doesn't make sense like if you look at the numbers they don't make sense and so then i listened to the hearings all the hearings i listened to all single people talking about it something happened congress is not doing their due diligence to investigate Ooh, this. They I don't, don't know want to investigate they, it. Right, because it'll take forever. It'll take it. forever. No, but it'll take it their power. It doesn't have to take forever. It'll well, take their power. Exactly. And then, and then when they played when they played a game like they were going to do something, they weren't going to do anything. They, It's like for the next election. We can come to only one conclusion from listening to that. And unfortunately, it's that the country is in real true, deep, serious trouble, like really, really deep. Remember uh, talking about hearings. Those were legally irrelevant hearings where no one was under oath. None of their claims were verified, period. And that's why she thinks it was rigged and it keeps going and they start getting each other more and more wound up. But we got to live with the results of this one that was stolen. Right, right. Trust why should we vote? Tell me why. Thank you. I mean, look at Georgia. Exactly the same process was used in Georgia. And whoop de doo surprise. Whoop de doo surprise. The Demsheviks got, got elected. Well, so look at what. Why should look we at what, look at what Nancy Pelosi is doing with HR1. Her first bill of the new Congress is to submit into law the very things that they use to steal this election. Yep. And now yes. they've got the majority to pass it. They're going to change the rules and keep power. That's what I fear for about my children is that this is not the America that we that we grew up in because they're going to change the rules just like Adolf Hitler did, just like Fidel Castro, just like you know, you Chavez. Sure you it's really going to happen. Are you sure you really want to compare Joe Biden and the Democrats with Adolf Hitler? You yes. Sure you it's not the, Joe the methodology. The methodology. Yes. Absolutely. Methodology's there. So there, as predicted, they think not only was Georgia stolen from Trump, it was also stolen in January from Kelly Leffler and David Perdue. It's not even a possibility for most of these folks that maybe Trump lost and Leffler lost and Perdue lost. And then, of course, he raises a comparison between 2021 Democrats and Adolf Hitler and others in the focus group like it. Others in the focus group say yes. That's a correct comparison. So this this is really stunning stuff. And if you're wondering how do you deprogram that, I don't have the answer. The, the point here is for us to understand how deep the programming is. It's horrific. Uh, then the topic is how do you feel about the January 6th Trump riots? Are you proud of what they did at the Capitol? I am sympathetic to what they did at the Capitol. I am absolutely sympathetic because I feel like I have nowhere to go after this last election. What am I supposed to do? I can't vote them out. 
They're going to refuse to be voted out. No term limits, no balanced budget. They're going to refuse to be voted out. I'm sympathetic. I I think the congressman should be I think the congressman should be pulled out and each of them face a tribunal and face punishment for what they how they betrayed our country over all these years. Every one of them should have to face the American people for what they've done. How many people agree with Frank? I'm curious. How many people? I agree with Frank. These guys should have a reckoning come. No, that Frank, not you, Frank. I want to make it clear. This is agreeing with Frank from Florida, not me. (laughs) Jim, I know Frank's coming from. I do. He he wants a reckoning. He wants to know why these people have betrayed us, and he wants them to stand up there and say, "Yeah, I betrayed you for money or power or a Chinese spy or whoever it is." In that one, I actually am unsure who they're referring to in terms of having a tribunal for members of Congress. To me, if you say, David, who needs to face consequences? It's the Republicans that supported the Trump election coup attempts. But I have a sense that those Trumpists are talking about Democrats facing a tribunal. I don't know. And in this next clip, they say more about the allegedly fraudulent nature of the election. But then there's a really interesting guy here, Jim from Michigan, who doesn't think the election was stolen and quit the Republican Party. So listen to him. This is a really important moment of clarity. And, and the reckoning is normally an election, but we don't have that anymore. No, we don't have that anymore. Powerless. You know, I, I um, and you're listening to all this and um, I left the uh, Republican Party about about three weeks ago because of what I saw at the Capitol. I was embarrassed. Um, I was embarrassed for the president. I voted for him twice. I had my lawn signs out. I had my flag up. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed because look at COVID, how that's totally out of control right now. You don't hear from this man anymore. He's Pence has got to go around and what he did to Vice President Pence and threw him under the bus. I will never. Wow, I see that the other way around, Jim. No, I disagree. That's Pence, Pence could Pence. not do anything Pence. under the Constitution, but not do anything. Pence did what he had to do. Pence had two months. Pence had two months before he came out and gave that letter. He had two months to say what he thought. And he he betrayed us, uh, just like the Democrats and the Republicans have. Pence had two months, and he remained silent. So that's Jim from Michigan. Jim says... Trump failed on covid. He abandoned his own vice president and Jim is embarrassed. So here's the takeaway. That's a focus group with 12 Trump voters, 11 of them just 48 hours, not even 36 hours before the inauguration of Joe Biden are completely disconnected from reality and they seem to be beyond reach. 11 of those 12 people. I don't even know how we reach them. One of the 12, Jim from Michigan, actually saw what happened and saw things for what they are and said, I can't be a part of this. This is wrong. And he sort of seems to have deprogrammed himself. That's really rare. And the fact that one out of 12 people did that is very important. That may be the proportion that we're working with in terms of what portion of these people can reasonably be deprogrammed. And as you can imagine, one out of 12 is not enough. It's not enough to fix the problems that we have in this country. It's not a great percentage. So hopefully this is really good work, actually, by Frank Luntz. Hopefully this helps us to understand the issue. And the more we understand it, the more of a shot we have at fixing it. And we'll be talking more in the coming weeks about how it can maybe be fixed. But as you can see, that's an uphill battle. That's a real uphill battle. We'll have more on this on our Instagram page at David Pakman show on Instagram. While you're there, follow me on Instagram at David The David Pakman show at David I'm really excited that uh, one of our sponsors today is Helix Sleep. I sleep on a Helix mattress at home. I absolutely love it. And that's why I reached out to them about sponsoring the David Pakman show. Buying a mattress in the past 
was always a huge guessing game for me. I didn't know what I actually needed. I didn't know what I would like. But Helix has a sleep quiz on their website. You tell them your body type, your sleeping position, your back pain issues you might have. And their tool matched me with a mattress that is perfect for me. It's cool enough at night. It's the right firmness. I generally just do way better sleeping these days because of the mattress. Helix was awarded number one best overall mattress for the last two years by both GQ and Wired magazine. It is well deserved. I can tell you firsthand every Helix mattress comes with a 10 year warranty. You can try the mattress risk free for 100 nights and they will even come pick it up at your house if you don't love it. But I know you will. All of my viewers will get up to $200 off your order and you'll get two super premium pillows for free when you go to helixsleep.com slash Pacman. That's H E L I X sleep.com forward slash P A K M A N. You can also find the link in the podcast notes for this episode. If you are anything like me, you probably aren't thrilled with the idea of going into a doctor's office right now. And thankfully, there is a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. It's a service called Steady MD. They're one of our sponsors. You take a quiz, you get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your health needs. You have a one hour video call with your new doctor. You establish a meaningful relationship with them. And after that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone or video chat. This is not a random doctor on call. Each doctor at Steady MD has a limited number of patients, so they actually have time to listen to you. You get the personal attention that you deserve. They can do almost everything an in-person doctor can do, perform medical evaluations, talk to you about health concerns send prescriptions to your home or local pharmacy and anything they can't do online. They'll quickly set you up with an in-person provider to do things like blood tests. As an example, you don't need insurance. It's only ninety nine bucks a month with no other fees or copays. I took their quiz. They matched me with a doctor who specializes in my particular health needs and situation. The doctor they gave me is a really perfect fit for me and my medical needs. They have a special offer only for my audience. You'll get 50% off your first month, but only until January 31st. So make sure to sign up soon. Go to steadymd.com slash Pacman. That's S T E A D Y M D.com slash P A K M A N. You can find the link in the podcast notes. Welcome back to the David Pakman Show. It's great to welcome to the program today Nicholas Christakis, Sterling Professor of Social Natural Science at Yale University and also author of Apollo's Arrow. Uh, it's so great to have you on. I, I, I'm glad to, to be talking to you today. David, thank you for having me. So there are so many things that we can say about the medical handling of this global hundred year pandemic, about uh, governmental failures or successes, vaccine development, et cetera. But one of the things that I find interesting, which you've talked about, are sort of the cultural aspects, what we learned and what was exposed maybe about American culture over the last nearly year of dealing with the global pandemic. Can you kind of frame that conversation for us and, and explain what what we should be thinking about when we think about culture and the pandemic? Right. Well, I think you already highlighted one important factor, which is something I would lead with right away, which is this way that we have come to live in this last year and a lot of the things that have happened. Uh, for example, the death of healthcare workers, or a lot of the denial and the lies that we have seen about the pandemic. Many, many of these features seem so unnatural and alien, but it's important to understand that plagues are not new to our species. They're just new to us. We think all of these things are so unusual and weird and unnatural and how can we, but that's just not true. And in fact, when you study the uh, psychological, social, and economic responses to the COVID-19 pandemic, you see that many of those responses um, actually have obtained with pandemics and plagues going back thousands of years. So let me give you a couple of examples. Let me start with a really simple one, which is the death of healthcare workers. 
many people are aware of the fact that, you know, many hundreds of American healthcare workers and thousands of healthcare workers around the world have died caring for patients who are sick. In fact, one of the reasons we should behave better is to reduce our imposing risk on these people of dying caring for us. Well, Thucydides in the Plague of Athens in 430 BC talks about the death, death of healthcare workers. Pope Clement VI in the bubonic plague in 1347 talks about the death of nurses taking care of patients. This is not new. Or lies and denial. We've seen huge amounts of like superstitions about, you know, you could use bleach to treat the condition or, or, uh, or like, you know, Bill Gates is going to inject us. The vaccine has, you know, microchips. It's ridiculous. Or, um, or denial, including at the former president, you know, the White House saying it's going away, there's nothing happening, it's going away, which was completely false and known to be false. This also, this response is typical of human beings during times of plague, because we don't wanna believe that this bad thing is happening to us. And on and on, I could go on. I mean, blame, for example, the desire to blame others is again, very typical. Uh, we we saw this during bubonic plague when there was anti-Semitism. You know the Jews were right. blamed. Uh, we saw it during HIV. You know when when gay people were blamed or Haitians were blamed or IV drug users were blamed. Um, there's always this desire to blame someone else uh, when there's a time of plague. Anyway, I could go on, but there are these these things that are happening to us. Or I'll say one more thing and then I'll shut up. <laughs> you know the uh, you know there, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what is happening to us in terms of the economy, for example. Yes. So people think that the economy is collapsing because of what the state, what the government is doing to us. But if you read accounts of plagues going back thousands of years, for example, uh, 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 John of Ephesus, a priest writing about the plague of Justinian in 500 AD, talks about how the economy collapses. Everything slowed and ceased. People were not out and about. There was no government that was ordering schools or businesses to close in that period. It's just... This is what the virus does. It, it stops social interactions, which therefore stops the economy. So all of these things that we're seeing are a once in a century event. And we just, I think, have to accept that and maturely confront it. You know, I um, I interviewed Brian Greene during the pandemic earlier in the pandemic. And uh, one of the things he pointed out was that he thinks there's a certain naivete to thinking that if we were to make contact with intelligent alien species, all of our, our earthly problems would all of a sudden seem sort of quaint and irrelevant. And we would come together as a as a global people, because now this thing that transcends our problems has taken place. He thinks even that is probably naive to think that there would be some initial f instinct of that. And very quickly, we would go back to our normal problems. Is there a similar naivete? And I think the answer clearly is yes, as evidenced by the last many months to think that something like this would have allowed us to cross the partisan bickering and not to devolve into the same sort of uh, uh, arguments, the politically aligned arguments that we see with abortion and taxes and so many of these other things. Is it just fundamentally naive to think that something like a global pandemic would would uh, cross those bridges? Well, first of all, let me back up and say there's a very famous exchange between I think it was President Ronald Reagan and um, and um, Mikhail Gorbachev, where uh, Reagan says to they're having an exchange about how they can work together. And uh, Reagan says, well, let me ask you, you know, if the earth was invaded by aliens, would you come to our defense? And Gorbachev says, of course. <laughs> you know? And uh, so this this trope, this idea that's in, in science fiction movies that human beings would come together. Uh, to confront a shared threat is uh, actually deeply fundamental. And there's another very famous social psychology experiment or demonstration called the Robbers Cave demonstration, which was taken, which took place in the 1950s, where um, uh, 12, 11 or 12 year old boys were taken into a, a summer camp and divided into two groups. Yeah. And uh, and then they were their group solidarity was fostered, and then it was revealed that there was this other group nearby, and then group competition was fostered, and then the investigators contrived to have a shared threat and show that now, having created these divisions, they could undo the divisions. The shared threat was they contrived to have the water supply to the camp interrupted, so the boys had to work together across groups, you know, right. to fix the problem. So, so there's this, all this background on exactly the topic that you're mentioning, and it is true that a shared threat can bind groups together. And many people have for years thought that a virus or a germ would have that effect. In other words, we all 
are human. We're all facing this deadly threat. We should uh, work together to confront it. But there are a few features of play of, of, of epidemics and this one in particular that make that hard. My first guess all, is my guess is one is that not everybody agrees as to the nature of the threat first. And partly that's because this this germ, serious and deadly though it is, is not as deadly as thank God. It could have been, just to be clear, we could have been facing a bubonic plague type situation right now on the planet. And many people need, you need to, people need to understand this. It's just by the luck of God that we're not facing something that's 10 or 30 times deadlier, like in the movie Contagion. Anyway, this particular pathogen is serious. It kills about 1% of the people that get symptoms from it, but it's not so deadly as smallpox or bubonic plague, which I think would have galvanized public interest and maybe helped us transcend some of our political divisions, first point. Second, the, the, the germs struck us at a particularly vulnerable moment in the life of our society in terms of our intellectual life. We have, as a nation, lost respect for science. We have, we have politicized the notion of expertise. We think that experts are elites who are trying to take advantage of us rather than just experts. You know, like if you have a car problem, I don't think I'm as good as my car mechanic in figuring out what the problem is. I want to pay someone who knows more than I do about the problem. And if you have a surgeon or anything else, there's expertise in the world, or a plumbing disaster, there's expertise in the world. So, but we have begun to politicize this notion of expertise to our detriment. We have high levels of political polarization and economic inequality already, century high levels when the virus struck. And finally, we have lost the capacity for nuance in our civil, civil dis, civic discourse. People say, oh, you're with me or you're against me, or things are black or white, but adults know that that's not true. Things are not black or white. Most things are shades of gray. Anyway, all of those things, plus the relatively low but still high level of death from this germ, have made it difficult for us to band together to confront it. Plus, I think, frankly, incompetent leadership in the former administration at the White House, which minimized the threat and did not act to protect the public interest. I'll say one more thing and then I'll shut up again. Many people say, well, okay, Trump didn't do so well, but you know, what about the England or Italy or other countries? It's true, many other countries also did poorly, but many countries did well. And not just rich islands like Taiwan and New Zealand, Germany right. did well, Greece did well. Uh, you know, we're the United States of America. I expected more from us. I expected us to do well in confronting this threat. Yeah, Rwanda is also an interesting example, actually, of a country that 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 did uh, quite well, certainly better than many might have imagined if they didn't know that much about uh, about Rwanda. When when we think about the next year, um, a lot of the discussions are when will herd immunity be reached? But there's some pretty interesting pieces that suggest that the what might be called the cultural end to the pandemic will come before the medical end of the pandemic, particularly if the most at risk are vaccinated first, as is happening, and the deaths go down dramatically. So there's kind of a question as to whether the cultural and the medical ends will coincide. What are you looking for in terms of this next year when you look at the cultural impact, the rollout of vaccinations, the transition to a new federal administration handling this? Well, I think you're, you're highlighting the key issues. There's this notion of herd immunity, which is this idea that a population can be immune to a condition or immune to having an epidemic of the condition, even if not everyone within the population is immune. Let's understand, and and through various calculations and making a accommodation for something known as the network effects, probably at least 50% of Americans have to have acquired immunity of the condition before we get herd immunity. Now, when that happens, the virus is not gone, it still circulates and can kill people, but we've taken the wind out of its sails. Its epidemic force has been nullified when we get to this critical threshold. Now. We have miraculously invented a vaccine where the first generation of humans to confront the ancient threat of plagues that has been capable to develop a specific countermeasure in real time. It's amazing, but as we are all seeing in the news, we have to manufacture hundreds of millions of doses, distribute them, which is not easy, and persuade people to take them. And I think it'll take at least a year before we get to 50% or more, which is what we really need, vaccination, at least 50%. Meanwhile, the virus is still spreading. About 14% of Americans are infected so far. This has a long runway. So either way, I think it's gonna take another year before we reach herd immunity. And during that time, we're gonna to have to live in a changed world with wearing masks, with uh, periodic uh, school and business closures, with gathering bans, with extra hygiene, and all of the headaches that we've come to be familiar with. And this is before 
the emergence of new, more communicable strains, which is another complication. So yeah. I think at least a year. And then we'll enter the um, the intermediate period where some of the things that you mentioned will begin to obtain, which is we're going to have to begin to confront the psychological, social, and economic aftershocks. Because let's not forget, tens of millions of Americans are out of work. Millions of people have lost, uh, businesses have closed. Millions of children have lost schooling. There's a disability, many several hundred, probably two and a half million Americans will be disabled by this condition. Between half a million and a million will die. So we're going to have a lot of recovery to do. And I think it'll take a while, but come 2024, approximately, these are approximate, I think we'll finally enter the post-pandemic period. And then I think it'll be like the roaring 20s of the 20th century after the 1918 influenza pandemic We'll have a roaring 20s of the of the 21st century. Yeah. One of the things that I've not seen discussed that much, which I think is important and interesting, is I, I never believe at the time when in May Donald Trump was saying the measures that some want you to take are more damaging than the virus itself. I thought that was dangerous and, and a disaster. But I do think that there is uh, uh, an aspect of this, which is after a year or a year and a half or however long it is of this feeling that the world outside of your house is hostile and dangerous to you, seeing two people close to each other with no masks looks like an act of something more than what it used to be. Right. This stuff becomes ingrained. That doesn't get undone in a month or in two months. And I'm, I'm curious as to what the long term group psychology impacts of that yes. are going to be. That's exactly right. Uh, that's what I was suggesting, that when we get to early 2022, we'll finally have put the biological and epidemiological impact of the virus behind us. But there's still going to be a lot of psychological and other recovery that'll take a couple of years, judging again from the, also the history of past epidemics. Just like you said, not everyone's going to take off their mask a year from now, right? For a variety of reasons, people are going to still be wearing masks. Some will be cautious. The virus will still be around. Uh, other people will have immunodeficiencies. Some people will have habits. They'll be worried, et cetera. So it's not going to be instantaneous, nor will any of the other recovery be instantaneous. It's going to be a long and enduring shock. I think what people need to understand is, is we happen to be alive like our grandparents were alive when the world was at war, right? Like when I talk to my uh, Greek relatives in Greece about this in their 80s, their frame of reference is not like the typical American it's it's like a European who's used to having invading armies. My my father remembers the Nazis invading Athens when he was a boy. So for him, you know, that was like a once in a century event. And now this is another once in a century event, you know. So so I think people need to understand that that this is a quite a serious and unusual experience to us. Again, for humans have been, you know, plagues are in in the Bible, they're in Shakespeare, they're in Homer, they're in Cervantes, you know, there's Nothing new about plagues per se, but for us, it's quite a new experience. And we have to understand, much as we wish that this had not happened to us, and much as we wish that it would end quickly, it's not. It's just not what plagues do. Uh, we've been speaking with Nicholas Christakis, who is Sterling Professor of Social Natural Science at Yale University, also author of Apollo's Arrow. I so appreciate your time today. David, thank you so much for having me. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. You may not have known this, but when you see me sitting here on the show, I am often wearing shirts by a company called Teddy Stratford. I asked them to be a sponsor because they are by far my favorite shirts that I own with almost all other slim fit button up shirts I've worn. You get this annoying stretched out gap in the chest where the buttons are, which does not look good. But what makes Teddy Stratford shirts unique is this patented zipper that's hidden underneath the buttons, which actually prevents the chest from looking weird and stretched out like that. It looks really good. And just all around, they cut the entire shirt in a specific way that makes your upper body look a lot better. It's just a much nicer and more stylish fit than you get from other shirts. And they hand make everything with 100 percent Egyptian cotton and flat felled seams, which means it's going to be a lot more durable than other shirts and last a lot longer, which I really love. Go check them out at davidpackmancom slash Teddy. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15 percent off your first order if you use the coupon code Pacman at checkout. That's P-A-K-M-A-N. 
The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. So we've been talking about how there's a real question mark as to what right wing media is going to look like over the next two years and four years in the Biden presidency. And we are if if there is any signal about it over the last 24 to 48 hours, it's that it's going to be absolutely and completely nuts. Now, we covered during the Trump administration, Fox business host Maria Bartiromo, who used to be a very solid reporter on CNBC uh, 20 years ago when I uh, started watching CNBC as I got into uh, the financial markets and trading stocks and the like. And during the Trump administration, she became nothing short of a complete and total Trump brown noser doing sycophantic softball interviews and repeating uh, the most ridiculous uh, conspiracy theories, including over the last two months that Donald Trump was going to figure out a way to be sworn in for another four years when clearly he was not. And uh, this week she asserts without evidence that at the January 6th Trump riots, there were Democrats dressed up like MAGA Trump people. There is no evidence of this. This is as baseless as it was really Antifa in disguise. It doesn't seem to affect Maria Bartiromo's willingness to repeat it. Take a listen to this. Well, security in the nation's capital is at an unprecedented level this morning ahead of the inauguration tomorrow. A new report says that some far right protesters have discussed posing as members of the National Guard to infiltrate the inauguration the way Democrats infiltrated uh, two weeks ago and uh, put on MAGA clothing. Uh, Acting Secretary of Defense Chris Miller says that there is no intelligence about a potential insider threat to the inauguration. So no one did that. Democrats didn't do that. That's a lie. Uh, Black Lives Matter didn't dress up as Trumpists on January 6th. Antifa didn't dress up as Trumpists on January 6th. There's no evidence for that whatsoever. And what I see here is Maria Bartiromo desperately trying to have credibility and relevance, but lying as usual, like Sean Hannity realizing, wait a second, I used to be friends with the president. Now I'm not friends with the president anymore. I'm out and she's looking for something to cling to. And this claim about storming the it was it was Democrats in disguise storming the Capitol on January 6th. It's truly bonkers. But what's really crazy is this four year period of being a brown nosing Trump sycophant and repeating the most ridiculous, baseless, harebrained conspiracy theories. It seems to have gotten Maria Bartiromo a possible promotion. Fox News has announced that six hosts are going to get informal week long tryouts to become the permanent hosts of the 7 p.m. Eastern hour on Fox News, which they're going to call Fox News prime time. Maria Bartiromo is one of the uh, hosts who's going to get a week trial, like an audition of sorts. And uh, also getting uh, auditions for this 7 p.m. hour are Fox News contributors Katie Pavlich, who's a disaster, Rachel Campos Duffy, who I've never heard of, former Congressman Trey Gowdy and commentator Mark Stein. I believe Fox and Friends host Brian Kilmeade also is going to get a week trial for that 7 p.m. hour. So they are setting up for the Biden presidency. They're still trying to figure out what their approach is going to be. But if the last 48 hours are any indication, um, the conspiracy theories will continue. The hypocrisy will continue and the attempted brainwashing of their audience will continue. And sadly, as I've said before, because of the uh, very, very low level of media literacy in this country, it works on a lot of people. And it's often just a race. Whoever gets to whoever programs them first, it's very difficult to get them out of it. And if you quote program people to think for themselves, to have a high degree of media literacy, to understand how to question where they came to their conclusions, how they came to hold the beliefs they hold. If that's the programming people get, uh, then you have people who think for themselves and don't fall for this nonsense. If you program people that everybody else is lying to you, you can only believe me, which is common in right wing media. And it was common to what Donald Trump, Donald Trump would say, you can't believe what you're seeing and hearing. The news is fake. Just believe me, if that's the initial programming people get, particularly if they're already adults, um, a ship has sailed, uh, proverbially speaking. So 
Uh, it's going to be pretty wild for the next couple of years. And the other question will be, will be will there be any degree of antagonism between right wing media and what is left of the Republican Party after Trump left it in shambles? And I want to talk about that next a little bit. Uh, one of the real questions that we are going to answer merely by observing the American political landscape for the next, I think in the next few months, it will become clear is whether the sparks of a Republican civil war that we saw two months ago uh, will turn into a fire. And uh, there are sort of two possible paths forward. Uh, it's conceivable that right wing media and the Republican Party will realize, whoa, we are in real rough shape. Trump lost the House for us in 2018. Trump lost the Senate for us in 2020. Trump lost the White House for us in 2020. We have nothing. So we have to unite. We can't have a Republican civil war where right wing media and elected officials are on opposing sides. And even within the Republican Party, there could be a civil war between people like Mitt Romney uh, and people like Lauren Bobo Bobert or Marjorie Taylor Greene. Right. So there's a number of different civil wars that that could take place. The alternative is that there is a Republican civil war where one side of the Republican Party accuses the other of not having stood behind Trump enough of being willing to compromise with Joe Biden, whatever, uh, and that we see a, a civil war develop. Sean Hannity earlier this week signaled that he is at least willing to foment this civil war, uh, apparently turning on Mitch McConnell and threatening the he at the time he was the Senate majority leader. Now he's the Senate minority leader, thanks to Democrats taking control of the Senate. Take a listen to this. Mitch, I will give you an A plus on getting constitutionalist judges on the bench. Been great on judges. But frankly, it looks like it's time now. If you're going to go along with all of this nonsense, we need new leadership in the U.S. Senate. You can represent the people of Kentucky. You're showing basically right now that you're the king of the establishment Republicans that frankly have always had and remain having contempt for President Trump, but more importantly, the 75 million Americans that voted for him. Americans want somebody that will fight for their values and principles, not scheme behind closed doors with your buddy Chucky Schumer. Every Republican in the Senate. So much like with Maria Bartiromo, Sean Hannity's direct line to the president ended yesterday with the inauguration of Joe Biden. He knows Biden's not going to take his calls like Trump did. So Hannity wants to stay relevant in some way. And what's going on here is that Hannity believes he's still the decision maker and the influence peddler. Now, he may be he may find a way to maintain that role, even though he doesn't uh, speak to, to the president anymore. It would be really great for the left to have a battle between right wing media and Republicans uh, that that is only good for the left. And it's just what Joe Biden needs to get going with some momentum. Republicans so busy with infighting that they are unable to uh, obstruct the things that Joe Biden wants to do to clean up Trump's mess. And um, one other funny thing, you know, Biden uh, Hannity talks about maybe we need new leadership in the Senate. There is new leadership in the Senate because Democrats won the Senate. And Hannity, of course, means new Republican leadership. Uh, but the, the new Senate leadership is Democrats altogether. And this is going to be very, very interesting now uh, for people saying that uh, I'm, I'm somehow being hypocritical on this. I'm not. I have said before a divided Democratic Party with infighting is bad for Democrats and a divided Republican Party is bad for Republicans. The difference is I want the Republican Party to be divided because it will be bad for them. I didn't want the Democratic Party to be divided because it was going to be bad for the left wing movement. And so I'm consistent in fighting is bad. I just am going to benefit from Republican infighting and thus I'm fine with them doing that. Send me your thoughts and we'll continue to monitor this over the next few days. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. Here's a funny voicemail. I get that this is a joke, but there's actually something very serious in it. Take a listen. Hey, David, Tim from Chicago here. So Joe Biden keeps talking about unity and all that. I mean, unity would be really nice, but, you know, who's going to pay for it? Right. You know, I mean, he just took office and the deficit is already at twenty seven trillion dollars. Right. Who's going to pay for all this unity? Yeah. Now, to be clear, the deficit isn't twenty seven trillion. It's the debt 
And the debt is also not 27 trillion. It's 23 trillion. So important details. The debt is 23 trillion. But the caller makes a good point, which is does Biden get blamed for the 400,000 coronavirus deaths starting today by right wing media? Does Biden get blamed for the deficit that Trump exploded starting today? And obviously you and I realize that after being in office 24 hours, those things are not yet your fault or responsibility, but the right is going to go with that. Sean Hannity already doing a segment last night saying, you know, why isn't Biden doing more on covid? They said they were going to do covid, covid, covid on day one. He hasn't done that much. That was a broadcast. Uh, nine hours after Joe Biden had been sworn in. So I know the caller's kidding, but they aren't kidding. They're really going to start doing that. And this is why, again, if there's Republican infighting that distracts them, it's only good for Joe Biden's ability to get things done. We have a fantastic bonus show for you today. We will talk about the Bernie Sanders mittens meme that has exploded since the inauguration. We are going to talk about North Carolina okaying uh, a ban on hairstyle discrimination. Very interesting. And we will also talk about men leaving college faster than women during the pandemic. All of those stories and more on today's bonus show. Get instant access by becoming a member at joinpacman.com.